Y'all uh, probably noticed that Crystal did not do a responsive reading this morning from our Psalms. And as you may have gleaned from Susan's children's sermon, that's because we're going to be using our Psalm for today as my sermon as well. So if you will, you can turn over. We're going to do this together. You can turn over to the back on page uh, 754. In the, in, the, in the UMC hymnal. Undoubtedly, this is a psalm that is it's the most recognizable, the most popular of all the 150 psalms. All of us know it. Many of us know the many of the words to it. Uh, so let's just read this together. I'll read, I'll read the, uh, the print in regular print, and you guys can respond with the print in bold. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Leads me beside still waters, restores my life. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil. He prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Amen. <clears throat> so Susan ta also talked a little bit about uh, Bible translations and she... Uh, picked up on one that she particularly liked. And I also read the same translation this week, and I'm going to quote it um, at some portion during my scripture. But anyway, most of you know Psalm 23. I'm sure you're very, very, very familiar with it. The words that we just read, the translation that we just read, some of that wording may have been a little bit different than what you were brought up with and what you were accustomed to. But if you want to uh, take a look at that version, uh, which most of us are accustomed to hearing, that comes from the King James Version. And uh, because our denomination is so thorough, they also printed that on page 137 in your hymnal if you ever want to go back and take a look at it. So anyway, if you've ever noticed, if you've been going to church any amount of time, you may or may not have picked up on the fact that you're not going to hear oh, very many sermons from the book of Psalms. If you think back, you can probably... probably I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a guess here. I'm going to say you probably don't remember any sermons you've ever heard out of the book of Psalms. It's just not something that happens a lot. You don't, you don't hear people preach out of the Psalms a lot. And that's because the Psalms, as a matter of fact, I've only preached out of, out of it one other time prior to today. And that was way back. Uh, I preached on one of them out at Oak Grove when we were doing our, one of our fifth Sunday services out there. If that tells you how long it's been since I preached on the Psalms. But when Psalm 23 rolls around, it's kind of hard not, not to preach on it. But there's a number of reasons you don't hear um, sermons from the pulpit based on the book of Psalms. And one of those reasons is that Psalms is primarily, like Susan talked about, Psalms is primarily, a, it's a book of prayers. Um, I've told you guys before, Psalms, the book of Psalms, is really a prayer book. It's a, it's a prayer book that's written by people. Obviously, we know that David was one of those people. But it's prayers. And as we were talking about uh, going through our Jesus Creed series back in the summer or early fall, I told you guys that Jesus would have used the Psalms as his own prayer book. 
Um, I use the Psalms as my own prayer book. Every, every morning, I've got, I've, got a, I've got a devotion that I follow, and generally I'm praying about four or five of the different Psalms every morning. That's what Psalms is. It's a book of prayers, and it's a book of prayers written by, of course, people. And uh, they're really, they're interesting because, in my opinion, the Psalms are really probably the most honest book of the Bible. What do you mean by that? Because it's written by people, you're going to find a lot of stuff in here that might shock you. You're going to find a lot of this stuff, a lot of things in the Psalms that might catch you off guard. Why? Because, again, they're written by us. And they are, again, these petitions, even these intercessions. Of course, there's, there's elements of worship in most of the Psalms. But they're coming from the hearts of people. And they are coming from the hearts of sinful people. They're coming from the hearts of imperfect people. People who don't mind being honest with God. Again, certainly there's worship in many of the Psalms. The Psalm that we read today, primarily Psalm 23, is a, book, is a psalm of worship. It's a psalm of adoration. But you're going to find a lot of other disturbing things in the book of Psalms too. You're going to find a lot of frustration. You're going to find a lot of people crying out to God. You're going to find a lot of people expressing anger. You're going to find a lot of people expressing vengeance. You're going to find a lot of people pleading to God, hey, kill my enemies. So that's how shocking some of the things that you'll find in the book of Psalms can be. But it's honest. It's honest. And it lets me know one thing. It lets us know one thing. God can handle our most honest prayers. God can handle our most honest emotions. It may be sinful, but God can handle it. God knows what we're going through before we even say it, so we might as well say it sometimes and let God work on our hearts. Anyway, that's just a very interesting thing about the Psalms, just how honest they are. And again, that's another reason that you're just not going to hear a lot of sermons on them. Most of y'all have probably heard, or most of you are probably familiar with the fact that Psalm 23 is very often recited at funerals. That's one of the primary places that, that we hear it. It's such a common practice, as a matter of fact, that I, I do my best not to use Psalm 23 at, at funerals unless somebody specifically requests it. But one of the reasons that we use it at funerals so, uh, so often is that it's, it's a psalm of comfort. It's a psalm of comfort, especially that verse that talks about walking through the valley of the shadow of death, having no fear, as even we walk through the darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death, however you want to translate that or however it is translated. So it's a psalm of great comfort, but it's also a psalm that reminds us of God's great faithfulness to us. It reminds us of God's great faithfulness to us. It's a prayer of assurance. It's a prayer that, God, that reminds us of God's constant presence with us. Constant presence with us. That God really is with us. And I know we like to say that a lot, but do we believe it and do we feel it? That God truly is with us. At all times, that he's not, that God is not just something that's way up in heaven, that's untouchable, that we can't actually experience and see and, and relate with and have a relationship with. No, that he really is with us at all times. That's the omnipresence that we talk about. I know that we acknowledge that in our heads, but do we believe that in our hearts? Well, this Psalm 23 assures us of that. It's that assuredness of God's concern, of God's care, of God's constant presence with us, of His directing us, of His watching over us, caring for us, providing for us, blessing us, even under the most harsh and painful circumstances. It's a prayer of really deep intimacy and really deep
closeness with God. Remember how close we can be with God. Y'all know I've talked to you about Jesus referring to God as Abba in the past. And you know, that's, the, that's, the, that's the term that you'll find in the New Testament, the Greek term, Abba. Abba, Abba was, a, was an ancient expression. It's kind of like Father, but it's a lot deeper than Father. The closest thing that we have to it in the English language will be Daddy. It's like Jesus calling God Daddy because they had that intimate relationship with Him. Psalm 23 also expresses to us and assures us of that intimacy that we too have with, with our Creator. Just a few things about it. Um, it's traditionally attributed to David, as Susan mentioned. Most people believe that David did write this psalm, although he did not write all of the psalms. But a couple things that David does here in this psalm, and again, I'm getting really sick of Susan stealing all my sermon notes, but he gives us this, he gives us this imagery of a shepherd. Okay? And David, as we know, because we're all good church Sunday school attenders when we were little, David was what when he was young? He was a shepherd. And he would have known about this thing. David writes from his own experience here in the shepherd. And he gives us this metaphor of God being our shepherd. And he gives us this, this imagery of God watching over us and, and protecting us. So that's how he opened us up. The Lord is our shepherd. That's what we got on our sign out there in the front yard today. He was familiar with this world, David was. And he utilizes this beautiful shepherding imagery uh, as a metaphor for our relationship with God. He knows, again, that sheep are stupid. He knows, he knows that sheep are dependent on their shepherd. They rely on their shepherd for protection. They rely on their shepherd for guidance. They rely on their shepherd for provision, the necessities of life, food, water, for us clothing. New Testament talks about that, by the way. So they rely on them for all these things, provision, Guidance, protection, these things that we need to sustain ourselves. We also know that Jesus in the New Testament is referred to as what? The Good Shepherd. He's also referred to as a couple other types of shepherd as well in some other portions of the New Testament. He's called the Chief Shepherd. He's called the Great Shepherd. The other imagery that I think is neat that David tosses in here is this idea of a banquet host. And that's something that we in our 21st century American culture aren't going to understand, but to the, when he would have written these words in this original prayer, it would have meant a lot. Because being the host of a banquet in that ancient Near Eastern culture uh, was, was, uh, would have been very important. Number one, what they would have done is all this, whole, this, all this stuff about anointing my head with oil. When a banquet host would welcome someone into their house for these banquets, they would literally douse their heads in this fragrant oil. As a, as a sign of respect, as a sign of love, as a, again, as a sign of intimacy. Other thing that would happen at these banquets is these hosts would be in charge of protecting their guest to whatever degree they had to do that. They were kind of like the police almost. They were banquet hosts slash police. They were in charge of, of watching over their guest and, and protecting them. So that's just really neat imagery that, 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 that again, that David puts in here as, as the shepherd and the banquet host, telling us that, Christ, that God is... Constantly watching over us, constantly with us, constantly intimate with us, protecting us, guiding us through every step of life, through every moment of life. The last thing that really stood out to me, and Susan brought this out as well, is uh, the last, one of the last verse. I'm not sure if it's the exact last verse or if it's just the first portion of the last verse, but it really stood out to me. It's my favorite part of the whole psalm. Most of us remember or recall these words as, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I talked about Bible translations last week, so when I study for sermons, I, I do look at various different translations to see how, they, to see how these scholars who uh, did these particular ones put them all together. And one of them that stood out to me was the Common English Bible. And it's just a slight change. It's just a, it's a slight, not, not, not that one of them's right or more right or more wrong. It's just a slight change, and it just drove this thing home to me a little bit more than the words that we're accustomed to with the uh, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. The way that it translates it says, Goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. Goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of our life. That very last portion of that verse, right there at the end of the psalm, Goodness, faithful love, that reveals to us again the character of God. That reveals to us again the character of God that we have talked about and talked about and talked about. But more than that, we know that God is love, but that one word, not follow, but pursue. Not that surely goodness and mercy will follow me, but surely goodness, goodness and faithful love will pursue me. Used to were... Generally, we're, we're accustomed to or we're used to the bad people pursuing us, chasing after us. God chases after us. That's what that word pursue means. God is constantly chasing after us. I don't know about y'all, but I had to be chased down to come into this relationship with Christ. I had to be chased. I had to be pursued. And He still does that to us. That's, that's, that's the whole idea of growing in Christ's likeness that we talk about. He's constantly, constantly loving us, pursuing us, pursuing us, pursuing us. That should absolutely blow our minds. So what can this do for us? What can this 23rd Psalm do for us today, thousands, thousands, thousands of years later, other than being something nice to read, something nice to recite at a funeral? I'm going to encourage you guys to memorize the 23rd Psalm and to utilize it in your own prayer life. It's a short prayer. It's a very, very short prayer. It's only six verses long. Talked about Bible translations. If you don't like the King James Version that you were brought up with, Perfectly understandable. Find you one that you do like. Find you one that resonates with you a little bit. I love this, the Common English Bible translation. I absolutely loved it when I read it this week. But it's an easy prayer to memorize. It's just a few words, and again, it's only six verses. Recite it in the morning when you get up, and recite it in the evening right before you go to bed. Remember, again, I'm going to bring it back to what we talked about several months ago in the Jesus Creed. Y'all got that sitting right next to you on, on the pews. Sometimes we recite on Sunday mornings. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And I encourage you guys to do that, to uh, recite that, to pray that. Um, when you got up in the morning, when you went to bed at night, and preferably multiple times throughout the day when, uh, when you thought of it. And there's a reason for that. You know, just as we, just as we exercise our muscles... Aaron's an athlete or former athlete, June. Just as we exercise our muscles to grow, we exercise our spiritual muscles and our mental and emotional muscles to grow in our Christ-likeness. The more we repeat something, the more it's going to sink into our hearts and sink into our minds. That's just basic psychology. Take the spirituality out of it. The more we recite something, the more we repeat something, the more it's going to sink into our minds and into our hearts. 
and it will reform us. It will reorient us, just like, just like the Jesus Creed. I told you guys, and, I've, and I tell you this because I've done it myself and I've experienced myself. The more you repeat that Jesus Creed, that, those couple of verses out of the book of Mark, the more you're going to start seeing people in a different light. You're going to start seeing people a little differently. You're going to start treating people a little differently. I promise you that will happen if you'll put that into practice. In the same vein, when we start praying the Lord's Prayer, when, we, when we're able to do it specifically for memorization, is a, is a lot better. But reading it's fine as well. The more you do it, the more this is going to reorient you to the presence of God. Period. You can't escape that. The more you pray this Lord's Prayer, it's going to reorient your mind, it's going to reorient your heart, and it's going to put you in a frame of being where we do, more often anyway, recognize that, yeah, God's with us. God's not just with us. God's, God's taking care of us. God's guiding us. God's protecting us. All of these things that David talks about when he uses this shepherding imagery and this host of a banquet imagery. God is doing all of these things for us. Try it for a week. Try it for a week. Meditate on those words. Meditate again on that imagery of, of, uh, of the grass and the being beside still waters, of being the participant in this banquet where your head is being anointed. Let all that stuff soak into you. Recite it throughout the day. Again, uh, not just morning and night, but try to recite it throughout the day. And again, I, I promise you, this, 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 this stuff works. This is, why we have, this is why we have the Bible, so that we can take it in, so that we can literally absorb the words of the Bible and that it transforms us again from the inside out. Y'all pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, God, for your word, who is Jesus Christ, and we thank you, God, for your written word, Holy Scripture. I ask God that you would continue to be with us as Christians, as disciples, continue to mold us, shape us. May we always be aware of your presence and of your love and of your guidance, your mercy, and your intimacy, and your desire to be in relationship with us at all times. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.